for this week's theme, which is a slightly different theme, I want to introduce that character to you. Uh, each week we've been looking at some things out of history. So this is Henry the Navigator, or to give him his more uh, official title, this is Prince Henry of Portugal. He lived in the 15th century, in the early 1400s, and he lived before the days of Columbus, okay? And he had this whole kind of idea that he sensed that there were resources to be had in Africa, but to get to where he wanted to go, um, he couldn't go over land because of the Muslim north that was very strong at the time and so he had to go by sea and here's a little map of, of how he kind of navigated that. The problem was um, that the Atlantic was the unexplored. They called it the seas of darkness. You see, before Columbus, people navigated by staying in familiar waterways. Okay, So they kept close to the coast. They followed the, the, uh, uh, the winds and the currents and the, they were navigated by the birds in the air. And, and, and they, he couldn't get to where he wanted to go. And year after year, for 15 years, he sent ships and they kept coming back saying, we're not going to go to the seas of darkness. And they kept kind of coming back. You see, when you're out of sight of land... And when you're in uh, unfamiliar territory, the old rules and the old ways don't apply and they don't work. And what navigation needed on the sea was something else to be invented to help them. Fast forward 400 years. In 1852, a French scientist invents the first gyroscope, which in 1911 became known as the gyro compass. And here it is. You don't get this stuff in most churches. Can I just say that? All right. When you come on a Sunday morning, you don't get the level of history and, and information that you get here at this church. This is absolutely mind blowing. Shows you what Google can do. Because uh, that's about my knowledge on the whole thing, really. But a gyro compass is basically a non-magnetic compass which enables you to stay true north in the seas of darkness. So when you're in those unfamiliar territory and you can't see land and you don't know how to navigate true north, a gyro compass is what you need. And the gyro compass I want to talk about today is the gyro compass of identity. You see, when you know who you are and you have that compass within you, then you'll know what you're to do. If you know who you are, then you'll know what decisions and choices to make. If you know who you are, you'll go far. And you know, when um, I think we live in a world that has a massive identity crisis, I honestly do. And I think we can see that sometimes in the church as well. And for those of you that consider yourself to be Christians, you know, I'm talking to you. But for those of you that aren't, or you're not sure, or you're checking it out, I'm talking to you as well. We all have an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. But, but the theme for this week is when you know who you are, you'll go far. So when you have a sense of identity and you know really who you are, then you'll go far. And uh, we're looking um, at some characters that are mentioned in, um, in a book in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, a book of Hebrews. But they're all Old Testament characters, okay? So we're going to kind of go from there and then back to their story. So we're looking at the character who's maybe one of the most well-known in, in all of history, uh, Jewish history and Christian history and history itself. And we're looking at Moses. Anyone seen the Prince of Egypt? Or the other one, the, modern, the, the newer one that was Christian Bale film? What was it called? I can't even remember. Someone tell me. Exodus, that's the one, thank you. So you've seen the whole films, and if you remember way back, if you're old like me, then you'll remember Charlton Heston. You'll remember the Charlton Heston film. Oh, there's nobody like Charlton Heston, is there for Moses and Ben-Hur and all that. Well, this is, this is a character of history that many of us know, but, but, but he's an incredible character. And in, in Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And just that one verse, Moses, when he grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses possessed what I want to call the gyro compass of identity. Something that will keep you true north, not magnetic north, which changes, but true north, the gyro compass of identity. When you know who you are, 
you'll go far. And here is a man referred to as the greatest leader who has ever lived. Okay, in in history outside of Jesus. Here's a man who gave a nation its freedom and who gave the world a framework for living we call the Ten Commandments. Here's a man who in the New Testament appeared in a vision uh, with Jesus and with the prophet Elijah. This is a great man, revered. And here's a man who knew who he was. He knew his identity. But before we look at him, I want to look briefly at his parents. That's a verse before in verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, business leaders say that 95% of their future is determined by 5% of their decisions. In other words, the decisions that you make now can massively impact the future for you and for other people as well. One of the most significant decisions made in history was made by the parents of Moses. Let me give you the background. 400 years earlier, okay, we're in the time of Joseph. Remember that? We looked at that last week. And the 12 uh, sons of Joseph, the 12 tribes of Israel, came down from Canaan to Egypt and they migrated to a better land because there was no food where they were. It was a mass migration of people. They moved countries for a better land. They, and I think that's a good thing. And many of us would understand that. They migrated for a, for, because they wanted to look after their family. And that's a good thing. And um, when they were in Egypt, they were welcomed for years and for centuries. But then 400 years later, a new king appears. And there's been an invasion of another ethnic group called the Hyksos. And they disrupted the political and social system of Egypt. And this new king appealed to the worst fears and suspicions in the Egyptian people. Which goes to show that nothing's new under the sun. Because we get that right now in our culture and around our world, don't we? And so what they did is that they looked at this group of Jewish people that were for 400 years were part of their society. They were welcome. They were part of the fabric. They contributed. They were valuable. They were important. And all of a sudden, people got suspicious and fearful about these people. And can I just say to you, I didn't say this at the first service. If any of you were born in another country and you're now living here, you're really welcome. We love it that you're here, okay? You need to hear that from me. That's not a political statement. It's a biblical statement. We are so grateful to God that you're here. You add such a lot into our lives and into our experience. And don't ever feel that that's not the case here because we are really glad that you're here. But in this situation, the people were getting uh, not feeling that at all. And so they began a, a program of forced labor for the Jewish people. And eventually that wasn't enough. They then went to a slow genocide where they said the firstborn males of every Jewish family is to be killed and to be put in the river Nile. And into that background, the, the parents of Moses make this incredible, incredible uh, decision. Now, we don't even know the parents' names until Exodus chapter 6. Amram and Jochebed. You may not even have ever heard those names. They were literally nobodies. And when the Bible said they were not afraid of the king's edict, of course they were afraid of the king's edict. That's why they hid him for three months in their home. And then they put him in a basket in the Nile. But the phrase in the original language doesn't mean not afraid. It literally means they acted in faith despite their fear. So when we, when we read they were not afraid, it literally means they acted in faith despite their fear. They had fear, but they acted in faith. They made a decision. And I think it's interesting, fascinating to me that... They put the baby Moses in the very place where he was supposed to die. 
And not only that, but the very place where he was supposed to die became the means by which he appeared in the Egyptian court and he was taken in as a prince of Egypt. It's amazing. You see, Joseph said, and we looked at this last week, what the devil or what you intended for harm, God intended for good. Now, I want to say a little bit of a word to you as parents. And if you are parents of kids, now, I can guarantee one thing. Parenting is the hardest thing on the planet. Am I right? It really is. And you can read all the books and you can go to all the seminars and that's all important. It doesn't fully equip you for the challenge that is parenting. Am I right? And uh, I want to say a few words to you as parents. And especially if you are Christian parents or, or, or one of you is, and your heart is for your kids to grow up and follow God. One of the biggest things for you as a parent is you're thinking through, how do I do that? How do I guarantee that my kids, when they grow up, will follow God for themselves? Let me say, you can't. You cannot guarantee it. And before you beat yourself up as a parent, you need to know this. God is the perfect parent. He created uh, his, his children were in a perfect environment. So there was perfect nature, God, and there was perfect nurture. Everything was perfect and they broke his heart. Because love means that you give your kids free will and a choice. And God gave his kids free will and a choice and they broke his heart. And he was the perfect parent. So the next time you beat yourself up, you know you're in good company. You're in the company of God. He's the perfect parent and his kids broke his heart. But if we as parents want our kids to follow God when they're older, we can't guarantee it. But we can make a couple of really big decisions. Decision number one. Choose to live an authentic faith. Your faith in God has not got to be just a Sunday faith. Do you know one of the, the times when we are the most unspiritual is trying to get our kids into the car on a Sunday morning. Am I right? That's when we are most like demonic almost. Do you know what I mean? With the whole thing, you will go to church, you will get out of bed. And we, some of you parents, you know that. And I remember my parents doing that to me as well. And, 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 and it can feel like now we get into car. Then when we go to church... It's all good. It's all good. We've got to live an authentic faith. Helena was so helpful for us this week in our devotions, saying how important that is. That whatever they do in the kids' ministry, and they do a great job, they've got to, the kids have got to see something lived out at home that's authentic. Is your faith a Sunday faith, or is your faith actually part of your whole life? So decisions you make at home, is God involved in those? Conversation that you have at home, is God involved in that? Your kids will inherit or will pick up an authentic faith. But second decision you've got to make is not only to choose an authentic faith, but also choose a consistent faith. You see, one of the big challenges in parenting Christian kids these days is you have so many options of what your kids can do. Can I encourage you lovingly and pastorally? If you want your kids to follow Jesus, research suggests they have a much better chance if you bring them up with a consistent faith, which also includes a consistent gathering with other Christian young people. Coming to church as part of your weekend will, research suggests, give you a better chance of them having a faith that they can build on in the future. It won't guarantee it, but it gives you a better chance. Why can't family time include a 75-minute worship experience together? Okay, so we come to church together and they go off to their thing and then we can talk to them about what they learn. They're learning some amazing stuff down there in DZ and in the Ark and in Excel. And it's so important that we give them not only an authentic faith, but we also give them a consistent faith. So that's a little bit of a word on the parents. We want to get back to Moses. He grows up as an Egyptian prince, which was not of his choosing, and neither was it his choice to be born a Hebrew slave, but he was. 
And as Moses grows, there comes to a point where the two worlds collide because he's walking around one day as an Egyptian prince and he sees an Egyptian soldier mistreating and, and beating a Hebrew slave. And all of a sudden, within him, his real identity comes up and he says, hang on, I've been brought up as an Egyptian prince and by lifestyle and status and training, I'm an Egyptian. But actually, by blood and by history and by legacy, I'm a Jew. And all of a sudden, that identity crisis begins to come to the surface. And so Moses acts on these identity crises, and he kills the Egyptian guy. Now, if Moses is the man to deliver the nation out of slavery, that's not the best strategy. What's he going to do? Kill them all one at a time? <laughs> he killed the one, and he buried him, and then he ran off into the desert, where for 40 years he lives as a nomadic shepherd, not sure who he is, not sure of his identity, kind of in the seas of darkness, not going anywhere. But you know, it, during that season, and we'll look at it in a moment, he discovers this gyro compass of identity and he discovers it to such a degree that he's then able to live it out. And he's then able to make what I want to suggest is four massive decisions out of his sense of identity. And I want to look at that with you this morning. So Hebrews 11 verse 25, the first decision he makes is this, long-term gain over short-term pleasure. Listen, he chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In other words, when you know who you are, you will choose the long-term gain rather than the short-term pleasure. Now you and I know short-term pleasure is much more fun, but it comes at a cost. Anyone a fisherman here this morning? See, nobody would admit it at the first service, neither a couple of you would admit it at the back. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a fisherman, okay? The idea of standing or sitting by, by a river or a canal or whatever, you know, with a fishing line for hours and hours, it's not my idea of a fun day out, okay? But I understand it's a sport and it's a hobby. And I understand a little bit about fly fishing is that a fly fisherman basically just has a very fancy colored fly with a hook and it throws the fly in the water. It's amazing what Google can do in it. And just this incredible knowledge. And basically, the idea is this. If you think like a fish, it's pretty easy to catch a fish because fish don't think very much at all. See, apparently, fish, basically, a fish is a stomach, a mouth, and a pair of eyes, basically. Because what a fish does is it sees a fly, wants a fly, eats a fly. So when it sees this brightly colored fly in the water, it's, it's a fly. I see a fly. I, I want a fly. I eat a fly. The problem is there's always a hook. And you see, that's how you catch a fish. Because fish don't swim around thinking about things like, where's my life going? Do you know what I mean? Like, like they don't turn to, their, to the next fish in the show and say, hey, w w we've got a relationship. Can we define that relationship? Can we have a conversation? Where are we at? You know, they don't do that. They don't say, do you know what? I I'm a middle-aged fish. and What have I done with my life? Do you know what I mean? You know, or I need to get a, a tattoo. Or, or they don't do any of that. They basically just see a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. But there's always a hook. But we're not stupid like that, are we? So we don't live like that, where we see a fly, want a fly, eat a fly, and get hooked. We don't do that, do we? Yes, we absolutely do. And so you get the leader who has that whole life of leadership and influence and power, and yet blows it all because there was a hook. And you get that, um, that couple who were married for over 20 years but then drift apart and one sees a fly and wants a fly and eats a fly and they're divorced. Or that woman and it looks like everything's great on the outside but nobody sees that she's got a massive credit card debt because she sees flies and she eats flies and she wants flies and there's always a hook. Or we don't understand that man who's successful in the public but in his private life he's gripped through addiction 
because he sees a fly, wants a fly, eats a fly, and there is always, always a hook. But when you know who you are, when you have an identity, it should do something within you. Say, I don't do that because it's not who I am. Long-term gain over short-term pleasure. Secondly, eternal treasure over temporary trinkets. Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I love this little old story. It's really old. Three boys in a playground and they're bragging about their dads. And one says, oh, my dad's great. And he writes a few lines on a bit of paper and they call it a poem and he gets 50 quid for that. And the other kid says, my dad, he's great. He writes just a few uh, lines on a poem, but th- uh, on, on, on paper. But then they put a music to it and they call it a song and he gets 100 quid. And the third guy says, that's nothing. My dad, he writes lots of words on lots of paper. They call that a sermon. It takes eight guys to take all the money away. (laughs) And this whole idea about what's valuable in terms of money. We live in a world that says money, temporary stuff, is so valuable and anything else is invaluable. But when you know who you are, like Moses did, he chose eternal treasure over temporary trinkets. And you know, we speak about money here, not because we want something from you, but because we want something for you. Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than he spoke about anything else because he knows that there's always a hook with money. And you've got to decide, is that going to hook you into this world or are you going to get rooted into a far greater, far more worthy world? What others saw as a treasure to be pursued, Moses saw as a distraction to be avoided. I love this tweet of a a guy that I follow, James Emery White, in the week. He said, instead of seeing money as it is, a life test, we make it life itself and fail the test. So we should see money as a life test. Don't see money as life because you'll fail the test. And you know, money is temporary, guys. Cars are temporary. Houses are temporary. Stuff is temporary. But God is eternal. And when you know who you are, you will invest in that kind of stuff. And you'll know that you've got identity right in this area. If actually you look at stuff in three ways, you look at giving, saving, and then spending. So I'm going to give back to God if you're a Christian because he's given to me. And I'm going to save and then I'm going to spend. And if I'm going to spend, I'm going to use the most spiritual document I can possess, a budget. Because if you have a budget, all right, that is, I want to say, a spiritual document. Because I'm not going to get caught up with a see a fly, eat a fly, want a fly. I am going to spend only what I've got. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to put some away and I'm going to spend what I've got. That's the kind of decisions you make when you've got identity. Thirdly, reality of the invisible over the fantasy of the visible. It's going to get a little deep this morning, so stay with me. Reality of the invisible over the fantasy of the visible. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. You and I live in a world that says what you see is real and what you can't see is not real. So the visible is reality and the invisible is fantasy. I want to suggest it's the other way around. What you see, the visible, is more fantasy than you think, and the invisible is more reality than you could ever imagine. And when you've got identity, you know that. And I will prove that through a couple of verses in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18, when Paul writes this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. How many of you know that's true, isn't it? Outwardly we are. That's visible. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. That's invisible. It's on the inside. For our light and momentary troubles, which are visible, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's invisible. 
So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, which is visible, but on what, but on what is unseen, which is invisible. Since what is seen is temporary, it's fantasy, but what is unseen is eternal, it's reality. And I don't know about you, but that inspires me. Because basically what God is saying is that whatever you're going through, don't fix your eyes on that because there's something else at work which is eternal and more real than you could ever imagine. And Paul talks about all the light and momentary troubles. Actually, when you read a list, his light and momentary troubles were shipwrecked, beaten, flogged, stoned. I mean, they're not light and momentary troubles. And yet he said, but it's okay. That's what is seen. But it's achieving something in me which is unseen. And that's more real than what I can see. I use this illustration, you know, what weighs more, 50 kilograms of dirt or 50 kilograms of gold? Which weighs more? They're the same. Which would you rather have? Exactly. The weight is the same, but the value is different. And when you've got your identity clear and you've got the reality of the invisible, you say, no matter what I'm going through, no matter the weight of what I'm going through, it's achieving in me something of weight that is far more value than that. The reality of the invisible over the fantasy of the visible. And the final thing, transforming faith over paralyzing fear. And then you read the bits that we know. By faith, he kept the Passover. And then it says, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. We know what Moses did. But Moses did what he did because Moses knew who he was. Out of identity, things happen. When you know who you are, you'll go far. Now, the question I want us to think about this morning, because that's kind of introduction, is how do we get this gyro compass of identity? So go back to the story when Moses kills the Egyptian, okay, and he runs off into the desert and he becomes a nomadic shepherd for 40 years. And on one ordinary day, while he's doing ordinary things, a bush is on fire. And he's seen bushes on fire lots of times because he's in the desert. But this one's different because this one's not burning out. And there's a voice coming out of it. So that's a little different, okay? So he goes over and the voice speaks to him. And this is where identity comes, guys. I, I want to read this to you. And, and there's, a, there's a repeating small word, which is so important. See if you can pick it up as I read it. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. What's the repeating word? I. It's like God saying, Moses, it's okay. I've got it covered. I've seen it, I'm stirred by it, I'm on it, I'm with it. And I can imagine Moses saying, this is good, I'm liking this, this is great. God's finally, you know, pulled his finger out a little bit, got off his backside, maybe Moses is saying that, a bit irreverent, I know. But maybe, maybe Moses is thinking, God has finally woken up and he's got it and he's got it covered and he's going to come down and he's going to sort out these Egyptians and he's going to set my people who I belong to, he's going to set them free. God has got it covered. And then God says this, so now go. <laughs> I've seen it. I've heard it. I'm on it. I'm with it. Now you are going to go. Then he says this. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Whoa. Moses was thinking, wait a minute, God. You were doing so well. And then you messed up big time there. You said, I, I, which is good. You've got it covered. And then you put it on to me. And you said, now you are going to go. What's that all about? And God's saying, 
God, I've seen it, Moses, but until you let the road of your life merge onto the road of my agenda, we ain't going anywhere. I could do it all on my own, but I choose to do it through you. Now we have an identity crisis. Moses said to God in verse 11, who am I? Here we got I again. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, that's not enough. Okay, that's what he's saying. Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Identity. What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Don't you love God? He's so clear. I am who I am. This is what, it's like Yoda, isn't it? Mm, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Don't you love riddles? I mean, God's saying, I've heard it. I've seen it. I'm on it. You're going to go. Moses is saying, I've got a bit of an identity crisis. Who shall I say has sent me? Just give me a name. Jack, Bob, anything. Derek, just give me a name. I am who I am. What's that mean? Maybe Moses thinks, okay, I am, is that your first name? Who, middle name, I am, last name. What does it mean? I am who I am. Now, I'm very grateful to a guy called Louis Giglio who's phrased something which I'm going to use with us this morning, which really opens this all up. You see, this is so important. And I have this riddle for you this morning. And here it is. I am not, but I know I am. I am not, but I know I am. Now, the I am in capitals is important because in the Bible, in Hebrew, when God says, I am has sent you, I am who I am, it literally is a Hebrew name for God that was never known before this time. And literally, um, the Hebrew word here is haya, okay, which, which literally you say like, like you imagine a karate chop, haya, that's how you say it. And it literally means breath of life. And, and what God says, before this place in time, God revealed his name as in a description of who he was. So Elohim means strong one. Adonai means master. But this, this revelation of his name is more about his, his character than what he does. And I am literally means I be. In other words, you don't need to know anything, Moses, about yourself because I am. I am all you'll ever need to be. I am. I be all of those things. Here, God gives Moses his personal name, I am, I be. Not great grammar, but really great theology. In a heartbeat, Moses knew the name of God and his identity changed forever. Now, let me just land this for you. Knowing God, folks, if you know God this morning or if you want to know God, knowing God should, over time, transform our identity and overcome our insecurity. But not until we know who we are and we know who he is. You see, I am not but I know I am. God doesn't overcome Moses' lack of identity and insecurity through the ways we think. He doesn't say it's overcome it by telling Moses how amazing and how awesome he is, which is what we think we need to do as parents. Just tell our kids how awesome they are all the time. That is never, ever going to reshape our identity of our children. And that's not what God does. He doesn't do it by holding up a mirror and saying, repeat after me, I am great, I am capable, I am amazing. He doesn't do that. He just says, I am will be with you. The truth is, folks, I am not, and neither are you. I am not all-powerful. Anyone here all-powerful? I am not all-knowing. I am not all-together all of the time. I am not at the center of the universe. I am not capable. 
but I know I am. <laughs> Getting it? I am not all of those things, but I know I am. So John the Baptist, baptizing all these guys and girls, and, and the, the, the religious leaders come to him, and they said, are you the Christ? You know what he said? I am not. I am not. But then the very next day, the very next day, this fellow appears, Jesus, and he says, he is. I am not, but I know I am. And he's the lamb that's going to take away the sins of the world. And then John says, he must increase and I must decrease. I am not, but I know I am. And I want to suggest to you this morning, real confidence doesn't come from competence, but it comes from the assurance of God's presence. I didn't feel competent this morning. I didn't really want to preach this morning if I'm really honest with you. I got up this morning, the whole host of situations and circumstances, I thought, you know what, I don't feel competent today. I don't feel capable today. I don't feel qualified today. But you know what? God reminded me as I looked at what I'd written, you're not, but he is. Because I am not, but I know I am. So when Moses says to God, who am I? God says to Moses, it doesn't matter who you are, it matters who I am. When Moses says, I'm not eloquent or smart or successful, and God says, I didn't choose you because you were those things, I've got enough of them for the both of us. God doesn't want the guy who's brought his own publicity. God wants someone who knows that they're an empty vessel, who knows they are not, but who knows that he is. I am not, but I know I am. Ben, I want to ask you to come back. You see, feeling inadequate is actually a prerequisite to being used by God. And so what I want to do this morning is, in a moment, we're going to sing a final song together, which is a song of identity, which is such a powerful song. But before we do that, I want to read something to you. And I pray that as I read it, these are not my words, these are words I've got from somewhere else. I want to read these to you. But these are, imagine these are God speaking to you. And then allow the Holy Spirit to maybe say something and bring something into your life today. And so just for a few moments, if you just don't move for a few moments, if you can do that, just ignore the people around you for a moment and just listen to the voice of God. And so God says to Moses and God says to you and he says to me, I am the God of very unpromising material. You think you're unskilled, lacking courage, not very good? You don't even know the half of it. <laughs> you're so weak, you can't even guarantee tomorrow. You're like a wisp of smoke, a blade of grass. In the scope of this universe, you are smaller than a grain of sand. But it's not about you. You are not, but my name is I am. Whatever you're not, Whatever you need, whatever you didn't get from your parents, whatever you aren't getting from someone else, God says, I am. Who can I trust? I am. I'm not really sure who is on my team. <laughs> I am. Nobody is listening to me. I am. My marriage is crashing and I don't know what to turn, where to turn. I am. I'm 50 years old and I feel like I'm starting all over. I am. What if I fail again? I am. I'm not sure I believe anymore. I am. I'm pouring into everybody, but nobody's pouring into me. I am. I can't hold on. I am. I'm tired. I am. I quit. I am. I need a drink or a fix or a hit. I am. I need a fresh start. I am. I just need somebody to hold me. I am. Guys, the name I am is the answer to every insecurity in our lives. And here's the amazing thing. When we become believers, that name becomes ours as well. 
We took God's name and we became one with Him. So when we start to look at ourselves and we say, I am so stupid, I am a loser, I'm such a terrible mom. God says, I'm not any of those things. And if I'm in you, you're not either. So when you say, God, I'm so dysfunctional, He says, yeah, I am so complete. When you say, I'm so deficient, He says, yeah, I am so sufficient. And when you say, I am so doubtful, He says, yeah, but I am so faithful and so gracious. And when the voices in our lives and in our hearts whisper, you are not, we can shout back, you're right, but He is and I'm in Him. I am not, but I know I am. So I want to say to you this morning, have you got that gyro compass of identity? If you come to that moment where you can say, do you know what? I am not, but I know I am. Everything rises and falls on this revelation. I am not, but I know I am. And maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? Just where you are, I just want to invite you this morning, maybe just to put your hands out if that would help you. Maybe just, to, just take a moment just to say, God, thank you. Thank you that I am not, but I am. You are the I am. You are the great I am the great I am. I am not. Tomorrow I am not, but you are. Tomorrow I am not all of these things, but yet you are. And so God, today we surrender again to you. Jesus, I want to pray. God, would you touch our lives and our hearts? I pray right now, God, if there is any of us here that maybe we've never surrendered to you, maybe we've never come to that point. Maybe we we know what we're not and we've never understood who you are and what you can be in our lives. God, I pray for that revelation to occur today. I am not, but I know I am. Just before we sing this, I want to say that after this song, there's a prayer room over here. We'd love to pray for any of you that want prayer this morning. And maybe for what has been talked about this morning, or maybe for other things, you know, maybe for physical healing. You know, on Friday at our youth club, uh, many of you know we run a youth event on a Friday night. Every Friday, a couple of hundred young people. Many of them are... Uh, well, most of them actually aren't Christians and it's a very open, fun kind of evening. And There's a prayer room there where if the kids want to, they can go in and they can, they can have prayer. We don't force it on them. You know, it's optional. But on Friday, five of the young people who went in who are not Christians all went in and event ended up asking someone to pray for them for physical needs, for healing. And five of them said that they were in pain and the pain had gone. It's amazing, isn't it? And some of these kids ended up praying for each other even though they weren't Christians. And, some, and one of the kids had an ear infection, had pain in the ear, but after they were prayed for by one of their mates, said that the pain's gone. God's at work. You know, I am not. And that isn't because anybody can heal, only God, because we're not healers. But I am, is, isn't he? And so this morning, maybe you've got a need and we would love to pray for you. There's nothing magical or mystical in any of us, okay? But there's something powerful in who God is. Because I am not, but we know I am. So we're going to finish and we're going to sing this amazing song about identity. And you know, if there's anything that we need to know as human beings, the only identity name that we need, because it's not about me being a pastor or a husband or a father or any of that. My root identity is I am a child of God. That's it. Isn't it? That's all I need to know. Because I'm not all those other things. But I know I am. And because I know I am, I am a child of God. Does that make sense? Because I know Him, the great I am, 
I am a child of God and that's enough. That's my core identity. And as we celebrate that this morning, why don't we thank God that we are rooted in Him. Amen. And so we can do all He asks us to do in partnership. We're not, but He is. I am not, but I know I am. Let's celebrate.